Welcome everyone to another weekly edition of the WSOU Sports Zoom Talks. My name is Dalton Allison. I'm joined this week alongside Ronnie Jerez and Danny Lemoyne. And if you're hearing this on one of our podcasting services now, because we're on Spotify, we're on basically wherever you can get your, your podcasts, I'm sorry for you because you don't get to see the smiling faces of Ronnie Jerez and Danny Lemoyne. Guys, how are you doing today? Feels good to be here. I haven't talked sports in a while and joined by such handsome men as you guys. I'm excited. <laughs> Same here. I'm all good. Ready to talk sports. Sports are in the stages of coming back, so we're good to go, boys. Yeah, that's something that we're, we're going to touch on. But, I mean, I guess to open up, the action of sports has kind of subsided for the time being, but the drama of sports certainly has continued on into this pandemic, and it's right there in the Big East. Huge news for Big East. Two of the best players in the conference for next season, heading into the season, Mac McClung and LJ Figueroa, both departing their teams. We'll start off with Mac McClung. Mac McClung has decided to transfer to Texas Tech. Now, a lot of people know him for his aerodynamic dunks. Personally, I knew him because he's cousins with Riff Raff, so that's just a fun fact that I would always say when I was broadcasting games. But what do you guys think is going to be the, the thing that Georgetown is going to miss most about him? We'll start with you, Ronnie. I think he's just a, a really high competitive guy. His drive, um, you see it in the games, how he has a very huge will to win. And, just, I mean, he's, he has a lot of highlights. He's a fan favorite. Um, he, he exploded. Uh, as a nationwide sensation in high school. He was the all-time leading scorer in Virginia, passing out in Iverson and in high school. So just how explosive this guy is and how well-known he is, he's an attraction. He brings fans. He's box office. And, I mean, uh, Texas Tech got a really good player on their hands, and it's going to be interesting to see how they implement him into their system. Yeah, and like like Ronnie said, it's just the name around Mac McClung that Georgetown is going to miss most importantly. Whenever you heard Georgetown basketball over the past couple of years, you've seen Patrick Ewing and Mac McClung and their transformation as they've been building the program. Now all that has changed as many of the players have moved away from the program as well as Mac McClung. And I really think that they're going to miss having that playmaking. He's just a playmaker. Like you said, his aerodynamic dunks. He's a great three-point shooter. Not a lot of people realize that because he's so dynamic inside the paint. But just all around, his shot creation for him and his teammates is going to be mysterious. I mean, you're looking right now at a Georgetown program that is crumbling before our eyes. They're losing Jagan Mosley. They're also losing Omer Yurt Seven, two of their best players last year. And you just think, think of the, the parity that comes with this program. You have Yurt Seven who could be a potential NBA draft pick coming up soon because of his talent inside. He's one of the best big men, was one of the big best, best big men in the conference last season. But you look at Yurt Seven and the success that he brought to that program, and then McClung, who sees how this program is just collapsing in front of us. It's just – it's tough to see. McClung is going to do great at Texas Tech. He is a player that is hard-nosed has a lot of fun with the game, which fits right in with that Texas Tech program. Texas Tech is consistently an underdog when they hit the national polls. I've, 
I remember watching them against Seton Hall a couple of years back when they played them at the Garden. Very, very tough program. But the fans, they travel well for that squad. They always find a way to get tickets to the game. And they are a ferocious, ferocious team. And out there in Lubbock, Texas, they don't have much to do besides support Texas Tech Athletics. D.C., they have all the championship-winning teams in D.C. right now. So the spotlight was not always on Mac McClung. Now Mac McClung is going to have a huge stage to play on in Lubbock, Texas. He's going to be a premier player on that program. It's interesting that you mentioned Georgetown crumbling right before our eyes, and, and it's 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 due to note that maybe it's some of the system that's really failing for these players. Cause I remember when Patrick Ewan, he went on a podcast and he said that Matt McClung, he's returning for his junior season. And that was without the approval of Matt McClung saying that. So that blindsided him and that probably tore their relationship even more and solidified him leaving the program. So, I mean, I wonder just how stable that, program and that institution is for their players and maybe that's driving players away from that program and similar to what ronnie said the players that have left the program over the course of the last two years due to various reasons you have james akinjo who transferred now attending uh, college on the west coast you had josh lebanc myron gardner galen alexander all involved in the issues on campus they're all off the team now then you have the mac mcclone leave in addition to your seniors like Omario Seven, Jagan Mosley, and Terrell Allen. It's just amazing. The whole core and nucleus of that team who was looking promising and looking to be one of the top teams in the Big East again is now, just like you said, crumbled. And it's interesting because non-conference, they were starting to build up a little momentum, but as soon as all the off-the-court issues started to happen, it was just watching this team. It, there, we, I was able to go down to D.C., and call one of the the Georgetown Seton Hall games this year. And really the fan spirit there was dead. Um, Not a lot of excitement surrounded that team. And sure, you know, there were the moments in the game where the team was into it, but Seton Hall was in control most of that game, which doesn't necessarily happen a lot on the road in the Big East Conference. So you have to wonder where the issues for this program start. Now we know Patrick Ewing has been battling the coronavirus. So of course, well wishes and prayers to him, but looking at his performance as a coach so far, I don't really know if it's, it's working out. And of course it didn't really work out for someone that he consistently battled in college and Chris Mullen, St. John's. That's another program that is starting to crumble as well. Chris Mullen, of course, fired Mike Anderson coming in. He is another guy who is losing the core of his team, and namely LJ Figueroa, without a doubt the best player for St. John's next season, announcing that he's going to transfer out. That just spells disaster for the program in Queens. Yeah, that team, he was the, the leading scorer. He is um, he's a Dominican native just like me, uh, so shout out to him. And um, I was reading up on some of the, the teams that have offered him or have reached out to him. And Texas Tech is one of them. I saw that. So it would be, it would be interesting to see if Texas Tech land another big fish like LJ Figueroa. He's a, a 14 and a half point per game scorer for the, the St. John. And he, he's a bucket. He's a certified bucket. If you, if you want to get somebody to score, you go to him. 
So, I mean, there's among teams like Memphis, Oregon, Dayton, Auburn, Kansas, Stanford, um, Georgia Tech, and, and UCLA, uh, among others. Um, so, but it, one thing is he's leaving the Big East for sure. I mean, no team looks like he's going to pick him up. So for the conference, uh, having a player like him, uh, it decreases the star power in the Big East. And, and I mean, it devastates that St. John's team. To They were uh, a lower half team at, at best. And now that losing LJ is going to only hurt them even more. And in addition to what Ronnie said, I think even more so than the offensive mindedness of LJ Figueroa, the area that St. John's will miss them the most is on the defensive end because now with their new coach, Mike Anderson, they're a very fast-paced team who likes to get out into the break, and they were actually 13th in the nation last year in steals. LJ Figueroa and uh, Nick Rutherford were the two players who really set that tone on the defensive end. Now they're both gone. So where does this leave them in terms of their playing style? Because Mike Anderson's always been big on defense leading to offense. Now they have almost more offensive-minded players with Marcel Serrantin, Julian Champagne, Greg Williams. They're going to have to pick it up on the defensive end if they want to keep that playing system. Yeah, I think St. John's is, is going to be the worst team in the Big East Conference next year. It's going to be, it's going to be between St. John's and Georgetown. I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. Usually we throw DePaul in that conversation, but DePaul has not had as horrendous an offseason as these two teams have had at least you know DePaul not making many headlines but sometimes no headlines are better than the headlines that are being produced by the St. John's programs and the Georgetown programs I mean looking at the foundation of this St. John's teams you mentioned Nick Rutherford not only was Nick Rutherford a stalwart on that defense he was the top he was tied for the most assists on that team so you're looking at St. John's they're losing LJ Figueroa Mustafa Heron's graduating Nick Rutherford graduating as well that's their top two scorers and their assist leader from last season. You're losing 100 assists and nearly 30 points per game out of three players. That's an insane loss. Rasheem Dunn is going to be the only player left on that roster who averaged 10 points per game last season. Wow. There's going to be no scoring coming from that team. I mean, LJ Figueroa, as you mentioned, great on defense. He was tied for first in steals in the whole entire Big East Conference. So he is as tasty a transfer target for all of those top programs as there is on the market. That would be something if he went to Texas Tech to see LJ Figueroa and Mac McClung both being Red Raiders next season. I mean, they, I met a couple of kids from Texas Tech at a, a conference that WSU attended. Believe it or not, I have a picture of myself doing the, the hook'ems, not the hook'em horns, that's Texas, but they, they had the, the salute, I think they call it, wild, wild culture down there. But I think it would be interesting to see if he went to Texas Tech. I think Oregon's a huge possibility, too, because last year they, they were taking a lot of the transfers and they put, that on, put them on that roster, matched them with Peyton Pritchard, and they built themselves a top 20 program that was consistently top 20 throughout the entire season last year. Yeah, whatever team that lands him, he's gonna, they're going to reap the benefits of a great scorer and a great defender, and he's going to contribute nicely to whatever team that picks him up. Yeah, I, I also look at Oregon as a key spot for him to go because we saw, we saw Oregon last year with a bunch of the lengthy forwards on their team, such as the Shakur Justins of the team. They excelled in that 
playing system. They played really well both on offense and work defensively, and that just fits LJ Figueroa. And with some seniors leaving that program, I think he could really be big there. Yeah, so St. John's really does not have much to look forward to next season besides Marcellus Erlington, who really started to turn it on in the second half of the conference season, even started to earn starts by the end of that. I think he's going to be a big man that could potentially get all Big East second team um, honors next season, potentially most improved as well. And then Rasheem Dunn is really going to have to pick up the scoring for the Johnnies. Yeah, I yeah. mean, Marcellus Erlington last year, we saw down the stretch, he just really started excelling. And you saw he gained the trust of Mike Anderson because he started to get more playing time as the year went on. And even in that short and biggies tournament that we saw for two games even, Marcellus Erlington was dropping buckets consistently, getting rebounds. And, I mean, he's not big at all. He's 6'6", but he's got a huge frame, which allows him to play in the post, in the paint, even he's got a jump shot. So I think he's going to take that big step. And like you said, Rasheem Dunn, a little inconsistent last year, but I think now with the weight on his shoulders more, he'll be ready for this challenge. Now, hopefully with more weight on their shoulders, this could be a time for them to step up and really evolve as players and continue what they tried to do last year. But it also could mean that them doing all the work and shouldering all the, the load, I not be as beneficial as you want because you can have them burn out and try to do too much and expect too much of them and then ultimately fall short. And as you said, they are kind of competing for bottom loaders in the conference. So, um, I mean, we're going to have to see how these players evolve. Um, I mean, with the pandemic, uh, maybe they're hopefully they're training and doing the best they can um, to improve, but um, it, too much load can be something that that's detrimental for their progress. I'll, I'll tell you one thing, though. I definitely do think that even though if they are at the bottom of the Big East, they will be a team you don't want to face on an ordinary night or look past. Because I do feel like a lot of the top teams will have trouble with them if a couple of those players do step up and try to prove themselves on any given night. Yeah, something that we've come to know in the Big East as is uh, a conference where there is never – an easy game to be played. And certainly you see it every single game on Seton Hall's slate, usually in the conference season. There's, there's no, no easy victory. Even if they open up a big lead, it always is a close game, which makes the Big East Conference so exciting, which is why we're happy to be talking about it, happy to be talking about sports, professional sports. The NHL announced earlier this week they have come up with a plan to return to hockey. They're going to end the regular season, and they're going to go right into the playoffs. They're going to have a 24-team playoff, which is going to be absolutely amazing to watch. In my opinion, the NHL playoffs are some of the, the most exciting playoffs in all professional sports. How it's going to work is that the top four teams for each conference, they're going to play each other for seeding. So the Eastern Conference is going to have the Bruins, the Lightning, the Capitals, and the Flyers playing each other to earn seeds of one to four. And then the Western Conference is going to have the Blues, the Avalanche, the Golden Knights, and the Stars doing the same exact thing. And dispersed among the rest of the teams is kind of like a March Madness bracket, really, um, of, of hockey teams. And some local teams made the cut. 
I was getting nervous towards the end of the regular season that the Rangers were not going to be able to get in. They started picking up their play late in the season. By the time the, the pandemic shut everything down, the Rangers were like two points out of a playoff spot. They were chasing the Hurricanes and they were chasing the Islanders. And they might end up running into both of them in the playoffs because they open up that play-in round, they're calling it, as the 11th seed against the 6th seed Hurricanes. And, Danny, I think that this is going to be the potential. This, this matchup has potential to be great. Now, regular season, the Rangers were 3-0 and against the Carolina Hurricanes. Do you think that's going to have an impact heading into the series whenever it happens, be it July or August? I definitely do, and I think this has the potential to be the best play-in round series out of all of them, both conferences. I mean, these teams have actually grown to have a mini rivalry, and it's kind of weird in a sense because a team from Carolina and a team from New York, you wouldn't really think of them as rivals. But, I mean, the Rangers have had their numbers for years, and the Hurricanes know it. And I think the Hurricanes are frustrated by that. And it's kind of funny because the Hurricanes were one of the teams who voted against this playoff system for the NHL. It was the Hurricanes who felt like they were getting downgraded by this and felt like the Rangers were getting an unfair advantage, which sparks sparks on both sides because they're both going to be ready to go. And I do think that the Rangers having the upper hand in the regular season will be in the back of the Hurricanes' minds and make them want to beat them even more. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting because if you look at the, the three wins – the Rangers are going to have some important roster decisions to make when this comes around because the Rangers played kind of a, a tricycle show, if you will, with the goalies last season. They had Henrik Lundqvist, but his play had obviously started to, to, to decline a little bit throughout the, the course of the season because, you know, age and having porous defenses in front of him for the past couple of seasons started to take a toll on him. They had Georgiev, who – has played better than anyone else has ever expected him to play. He wasn't supposed to be a big prospect coming into the league, but all of a sudden he really started to fasten himself into someone who could compete for a starting job in the NHL. And he was the subject of many, many trade discussions. But then you also have the young gun, Igor Shesterkian, who is really starting to turn on his play and has been elite since he entered into the NHL earlier this season. Now looking at the three wins against the Hurricanes, one of them – Igor Shesterkian took, and the other two were both by Henrik Lundqvist. So heading into this series, Ronnie, you're, you're dealing kind of with a legendary goaltender in Henrik Lundqvist who has the playoff experience, but you're also, you also have the, 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 the gall of this young starlet goaltender. Who are you going to go with facing the Hurricanes? Personally, I think I would go with the veteran Lundqvist. Um, he has the experience. He has the the knowledge uh, heading into it. And as Danny said, um, the Rangers have had the number of the Canes for a couple of years now, and they swept the season series. They outscored them 17 to nine this year. Um, so having that experience and I guess the mental edge over the Canes can go a long way, especially now that the, this playoff seating really benefits the Rangers as in they, now they have this opportunity, they're hungry, they're going to try to make the most of it and try to, upset the Kings, and I believe the experience goes a long way. Yeah, and like Ronnie said, I mean, 
we saw John Davidson, the president of the Rangers, come out a couple of days ago, and he actually spoke about the whole situation because no one really knows what the Rangers are going to look like. The Rangers were picking up speed before this pandemic started. They were really firing on all cylinders, led by Panarin and Zaban up front. But now you have a potential of Chris Kreider coming back healthy after the broken foot injury. Everyone forgot about that, but that could be a real spark for this team. And I think that, honestly, Henrik Lundqvist is going to be hungry for his last ride. He really hasn't been necessarily treated in the way that you would think one of the best goalies in franchise history would be and kind of was blindsided by the two younger goalies coming up and stealing his opportunity. So I think he's going to come hungry, and I do think that if it comes down to a game five in this playing round, I think they will go with him. I think at the end of the day, if it's a winner-take-all game, you're giving that game to Hank. Um, one of the most clutch goalies of all time who's still searching for that Stanley Cup victory. It would be certainly interesting for him to take it in the, the way that the playoffs are going to be happening this year. And for me, personally, I think the Rangers are going to take this one because they have the elite talent at the center position. Last year, Mika Zibanejad really proving himself to be an elite scorer in this league. And the Rangers were finally able to win some face-offs this past season, which has been such a struggle for them in years past. And you look at most of the, the, the talent that the wings have, it's all on the wings. But a lot of the plays start from the center of the ice. And that's why I think the Rangers are going to be able to take this series from the Hurricanes. Yeah, and that being said, I also think the Rangers are going to take it probably in four losing one game because the Hurricanes will come out hungry and the Hurricanes are a speedy, dangerous team. I also look for the Hurricanes. I think their biggest issue is at the goaltender position. We were just talking about it on the Rangers end, but the Hurricanes have two goalies in Morazic and Reimer who really haven't posted great numbers all season and have both been injury-stricken. So you're not sure which one's going to take the lead and if any of them are really capable of stopping the firepower range. Yeah, I agree. I was just about to mention about the goalies um, for the Canes. That's a big if spot. And having the hunger and the drive that the, the Rangers now have while being slightly out of it in the regular playoff um, system, but now in it in this new system, I feel like this is going to drive them to get past the Canes. Switching gears now to the other local team, the New York Islanders. They're going to be taking on the Florida Panthers. Now the Islanders coming into the pandemic, lost seven consecutive games. Seven. However, is there really a, a hot and cold factor anymore now that we've had such a long layoff? Because seven straight games, it looked like the way that they were playing, they were going to slip right out of the playoff spot. The Rangers were two points away from them. Do you think, Ronnie, that losing seven consecutive games – before all of this happened, is going to really take a toll on them? Honestly, I feel like it's been such a long time since that, that it's given the Islanders a time to reset. Obviously, a seven-game skid is not a good thing you want to see. It's not what you want. But having the rest that every team has gotten is the same amount of rest. And having the ability to reset and rest up, because this is this is great for, for all the teams, but... For the Islanders, if you had any 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 bang injuries, any any nagging injuries, this really gives them a time to to reset and 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 get fresh and try to go in with a with a reset mindset of trying to to forget about that two months ago they they lost 
seven in a row and come back this time with a new mindset. Yeah, and like Ronnie said, I really don't see momentum being a factor at all. That's why I don't think the Rangers are necessarily going to win that series because of their momentum beforehand, because by now it's everyone's not training as much as they have been, so it's really a new slate. For the Islanders, I honestly think that they're going to come back strong. I know that they were falling out of the system, but I think now they have defensive players coming back, like Johnny Boychuk had the injury to his leg a couple of defenders that were key to them, and that's really what their system's built on is defense. They're very stout defense in front of two more than capable goalies. So I honestly think that the Islanders will be fine and probably take care of the Panthers. See, I, I don't think that the Islanders are going to take this series. I think the combination of Huberdeau, Barkoff, and Hoffman is going to be too much for that defense to handle. You mentioned that the def- this, this team was built around defense. But I don't think they've built it strong enough to take on teams like the Panthers, who are built for offense but also have a formidable defense. So I think going into these playoffs, both of the teams will have that rest. I think that the the whole seven-game skid, it's completely irrelevant now because of the, the all the pandemic. All these players have had time to rest, really gain a new fresh mindset. I'm sure a lot of them are going to feel like they're going, if not all of them, they're going to feel like they're heading into a completely new season with completely new goals. I mean, for them, they already made the playoffs. Now it's just about hoisting the cup. All that said, though, I think that the, the, the trifecta of Huberto, Barkoff, and Hoffman, it's going to be too much for the Islanders to handle because Huberto plays on that, that first line for the, the Panthers, and the Islanders are going to be able to defend that first line well. But once you get to Barkoff, they're, they're going to be struggling. But that's, that's what I think about the Islanders situation. We're running out of time, sadly, right now. So we'll, we'll hit one more subject, kind of go more into a conversational aspect of sports and kind of a, a philosophical way of thinking, if you will. I, I sent you guys an article from, from Rory Smith. He writes for the, the New York Times. Um, he was writing about Athletic Bilbao in Spain. Now, they play in the Basque region, and that's important because they are one of the few few teams in professional sports, let alone soccer, that will only recruit talent from a local area, from their local area. They only take players from the Basque region of Spain. They only take people who have lived there, and they only take people who were born there in their programs, and they graduate a lot of the players from their academy. Now, this becomes interesting because a lot of teams have had to slash their payrolls to their star players and to their clubs because of the pandemic. And of course, a lot of social distancing is limiting travel as well. That just means that for these gigantic soccer clubs and for a lot of teams, they're not going to be able to go to other countries to recruit because they're not going to have the money and they're not going to have the, the, the means of transportation to get there as well. So this system that's set up only recruiting local players. I don't know about you guys, but I think that could become the new norm for, um, for soccer clubs. I definitely think that it is going to encompass the soccer world tremendously. And I found it really interesting. I actually, I'm a huge soccer fan. I didn't know this about Athletic Bilbao. And it's really impressive how they do stick to their morals. And it even talked about the fans are okay with the ups and downs. And they're okay with, okay, we might win this title this year, but nothing else. 
And I really think that it is going to play a factor, but not for the larger clubs. We're talking about these larger clubs who are some of the richest in all of sports. People don't realize that. And I think that for the younger, for the smaller teams, the youth academies are going to be tremendously important right now. With lesser funds, they're going to need to look to their youth system and the surrounding youth system in their region to really find that raw talent. And then for the larger clubs, it's probably going to lead to obviously less traveling to seek these players. But if they know a guy's their guy, they're going to go out. Yeah, I want to draw a quick comparison to other sports. As we, um, as we saw the Golden State Warriors in basketball, we saw technically we're not talking about recruiting from the same area, but like they drafted up these players and they all grew up together from the same system and became a huge thing. I mean, before they got Kevin Durant, and we saw with the Yankees, um, before they got these big free agents, they would bring up these players from their system and cultivate them and keep them around and, and try to win with them. Now with soccer, this is very important because, um, for the, like Danny said, for the smaller teams, it's going to be such a such a big factor for these smaller teams since they have less less um, probability of landing these huge players compared to these big market teams like Real Madrid and Barcelona in the Spain area. These teams they they are super rich and they have so much money to give, so they go after these big fish players. Um, so the, the smaller teams, they have to really rely on their local play and their academy system. And if they keep doing it, the academy system is only going to get better. And then the players are only going to get better and the development's only going to get better. So having this system, I feel like it might spread out within, um, some soccer leagues to prevent travel, keep everyone safer. And, and it also brings a sense of pride to play from exactly where you're born and it, it, it creates more unity. From the teams like oh you live there oh i lived up the block and you know it's 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 uh, a more united front with these teams so this is something that other teams might adopt as well i think this it's just going to have such a huge impact on the mls because you look at all these mls teams they have club academies as well obviously they're not as renowned at the moment as all the european teams but if these mls teams are able to hold on to their, their star players, their, their, their star youth players for a longer time and develop them and potentially promote them to the, the top of the club because European teams aren't poaching them as much from the MLS. It could be, it could be great for United States soccer to have finally that elite American talent that often just leaves overseas for money. If that money isn't there because teams can't, bring top American talent over to Europe, I think we could be entering a golden era for soccer in the United States because players will start to stay home. That will increase the level of competition amongst these teams. And then before you know it, MLS is starting to get talked about as one of the more competitive uh, professional soccer leagues. I totally agree with your point there because as we've seen, the MLS has not grown as much as they've wanted to and have not reached that higher level as the European clubs. And United States soccer as a whole has also struggled both on the national stance in their youth systems with club soccer all the way down the pipeline. I think that this, like you said, because it's so cost efficient, it's so much better for the safety guidelines. I think this is really an area where the MLS has to jump all over and say, hey, we're Minnesota United. We have a hometown kid from Minnesota. Let's bring him up in the club and see what he can do. 
or you contact these club teams and you really get to promote these kids and give them more opportunities. And this way you get more raw talent from the United States to play on the national sense. And then you also get the MLS to grow as a whole. And I think that's huge. That's why I think a team like Athletic Bilbao right now is just so set up for this post-pandemic life because they've been, they've been doing this for their entire history, being cost-efficient, and it allows them to keep their top players that they've grown on their team because they can give them the necessary funds that they're looking for because they saved so much in the transfer market. So I think this is just an opportunity for the MLS to grow and grow and really make a name for itself. Competition is the name of the game, and the better competition is, it's better for the league, it's better for the teams, it's better for the fans as a whole. It benefits everyone, and everyone loves a, a hometown hero story. So imagine a team full of hometown hero, heroes. So um, that's only going to benefit the teams in terms of um, unity and, and the league as a whole. Try to compete with these larger European leagues and try to have the MLS come to the forefront of, of elite soccer in the world. Well, it was fun talking with you guys about sports. I haven't been able to talk about sports with, with my friends in such a, such a long time now. So I'm just so happy to be able to do this. So happy that WCU Sports is keeping the conversation going. But for Danny Lemoyne and Ronnie Jerez, my name is Dalton Allison. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's edition of a WSU Sports Zoom Talk. Be safe. You safe.